Hello, and welcome to K-Pod, the podcast about Korean-Americans and arts and culture from Korean-American story. The episode you're about to hear is our conversation with playwright, television writer, and producer, Diana Sun, whom we spoke with in early May. Diana grew up in Dover, Delaware, and studied dramatic literature at NYU. She first came to prominence as a young playwright with her acclaimed play, Stop Kiss, which debuted at the Public Theater and starred an unknown actress named Sandra Oh. Diana's many television writing and producing credits include The West Wing, Southland, Dirty John, Blue Bloods, and Law and Order Criminal Intent. She was also executive producer of the Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why. A mother of three, Diana lives in Brooklyn and is currently working on a handful of new television projects, including one set in present-day Korea. Catherine and I were so thrilled to hear Diana's story, especially her efforts to support diversity and representation in Hollywood. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Diana. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, we're very excited to speak with you today. Thanks for having me. So, Diana, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to these past few weeks. Well, I started off the quarantine by having COVID-19. <laughs> by having COVID-19. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it was, you know, a relatively mild case. You know, I didn't have to be hospitalized. I didn't go on a ventilator or anything like that. I actually didn't have really strong respiratory um, mm-hmm. symptoms, um, but you know, I went to my doctor because, like, you know, I said I think I had a cold last week. You know, it's not, you know, and I'm sure it's not COVID nineteen, but just like, and I said and I don't mean this literally, but I kind of feel like I have a brain tumor. Um, oh, God, this is mid March. It was just like, okay, your flu test is negative. Like, I'm probably going to get sent home. You should go directly to, um, I, I rent a studio apartment that I use as a home office. And he's like, you should just go there. I was like, okay, so don't go home. You know, and he's like, wow. yeah, if you can, just go home. Again, it was very early. Um, I clearly didn't qualify to get a COVID-19 test because, again, I could breathe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and the and the criteria was, you know, if you, if they felt that you're, course of treatment would change as a result of the test then they would give you the test but you know my treatment was honestly to stay at home and take Tylenol I mean that's literally all my doctor could give me and he's like I know this is super frustrating there's nothing to take we don't know and yeah wow how long were you in your studio two weeks oh wow so you had family bringing you food and all of that yeah, people, family and friends, and they dropped off all kinds of like, you know, supplements and all that stuff. But like, I have three friends who also had it. Um, and our course is very similar, which is like fever and headache for like a week, and then two or three days of respite when we thought we were better. And then it all came back again um, for another three or four days. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, but the thing, the main, you know, I had the headache, chills, alternating with, you know, uh, getting really hot, um, body aches, uh, and nausea, less, less, loss of appetite. But it's like when you're sick and you are taking care of yourself and with this particular kind of like, it makes you feel like really drained and exhausted and miserable. It's like, I didn't even feel like getting up and walking that far to take my elderberry 
or my vitamin C or do you know what I mean? Like there's just like, it just sapped my will to do it. I would just, my day was like this, sleep a lot, sleep, sleep, sleep. And then I'd wake up and then I'd just be awake. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and then I'd fall asleep again. It's great that you had a place to sleep and recover. Yeah. That worked out pretty well. It did. It did. And then nobody else has been infected. So. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're all better. That yeah. you were really a part of it. And actually, my co-writer on another project also got it. So we, it was like the project was stalled, obviously. But ah. I just thought, you know, I just thought for the producer, it was just like, what are the chances that like the two writers on your one project both have COVID nineteen? You know, and then later when we and she and I actually were on very similar schedules. Um, and by the time we were both, you know, able to start working again, um, and but you know, like the exhaustion includes like cognitive exhaustion, right? Um, but it took us a while to get up and running. But so we're doing a, t a TV adaptation of the uh, recently released novel, um, If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. Um, look, I have a book. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so. Can we go back a little bit? Maybe um, I want to hear about your earlier career, but since we're on this, tell us what the project is, because we didn't really get to it. So it's a it's a debut novel by a writer named Francis Cha. It yes. takes place in Korea. It's about yeah. four friends yeah. who each tell the story from their point of view. Is that right? That's what the book is about. Yeah. So, well, one of them is not a friend uh, in the book, but... Um, uh, so, so yeah, so Frances Cha used to be a, a cultural correspondent for CNN and uh, she covered Asia. Um, you know, she, she is Korean born, I believe, but she has really had a, uh, spent time um, in both countries. You know, she's fluent in the Korean language and also fluent in Korean culture, current um, Korean culture. Um, though she lives here, you know, um, and is, a, you know, she's Korean American and, um, uh, and in fact, this is the first Korean American novel that's set in present day Korea. And so, you know, we 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 were really quite um, worried and 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 sad for her because her book was going to come out during the quarantine. Um, but actually, and so she couldn't go on book tour and you know and do you know live interviews, TV interviews, and stuff like that. But she's gotten some amazing reviews on the book and it went into its second printing yesterday um yeah ah, fabulous so, yeah so the already book, yeah so you're turning it into will it be a film or a series or no it's a series yeah uh, I, I work almost exclusively in tv um but um yes yeah, so a year and a half ago probably um francis's book agent teresa park um who has also gotten into tv producing she said i have this book coming out you know, um, I represent this author, this, you know, this book's going to come out next year or something, I, you know, but I think it's, it's really, really fascinating look at present day Korea. It's, you know, primarily set in uh, a, a room salon, a room salon culture, which is like kind of hostess bars. It's sort of like bottle service that the businessmen after work, they take their clients there um, and, you know, they rent a room and, a, and then a pretty uh, room salon girl or two, depending on how many guests you have, you know, come in and they serve you drinks and they laugh at your jokes and they just sort of like, they're entertaining. So she said, you know, this it, it's really, really interesting. Um, it's, you know, all female characters. I wanna send it to you when I get the, you know, the manuscript next week. 
uh, I was definitely interested in the characters and also the beauty culture uh, in Korea. Um, and, and I really responded to these four, uh, in the book it's three. The book has changed a lot I'll, without getting too complicated. So the, the, the draft of the book that I read did have four young women who were all the same age. But over the year that Francis spent editing and revising the book, one of those characters got jettisoned and will have her own novel dedicated to her next. But she is in our TV show. I see. You know, in a TV series, you want it to go for seasons and seasons and seasons. So you need to get, you know, 30, you know, uh, 40, 50 episodes out of it. We, you know, we invented... Uh, a lot of uh, storylines. Yeah, and we change, you know, some some backstory for the characters um, and some of their present day situations. But it is uh, faithful in spirit. Um, and 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 Francis is a producer on the show, um, so she hears all of our ideas, um, and she helps with a lot of the sort of accuracy you know, um, an insight into present day Korean culture because, uh, you know, Jihei actually does go to Korea once a year because her parents still live there, but I haven't been to Korea since I was in my 20s. You know, Francis really is a, an enhancement um, in that way, um, but she also, uh, she really likes and is excited by um, our invention. Could you walk us through the steps of how um, this whole pilot gets made and what part, sure. uh, what stage of the writing um, you're in right now? So having read the book and then um, having taken it um, out to the networks, we ended up selling it to Apple, which, which means that Apple has uh, made the commitment to pay me and my co-writing partner, Jihei Park, um, to, uh, to write a pilot. And uh, based on the pilot script, uh, they will make a decision whether or not to pick it up to series. And you said that um, uh, you'd gotten feedback. So you're in the rewrite process of the pilot? Yeah, so we turned in an outline uh -huh. um, in, uh, I think, February or something. And we, and we got some notes. And the, and the notes sort of um, required a, um, some reinvention in terms of the story. The characters are, are you know, uh, the same. We had invented something not in the book um, that we thought would be a, a catalytic event that would help propel, you know, our girls. But sort of in execution, you know, sort of seeing it fleshed out, but they were sort of like, for example, they wanted more interaction between the girls. And they thought our catalytic event, they wanted something that was uh, a little bit more, um, in a way, positive. Diana, I'm so interested in, because you've had now so much experience working on all these different shows, so West Wing and Southland and um, Blue Bloods, what do you feel like you've learned or what have you gotten better at in all these years um, working on TV shows? Hmm. A lot, a lot. Like being a TV writer, first of all, being a TV writer ultimately culminates in you becoming a producer and the the ultimate position you have is showrunner, um, which is the boss of everybody, right? So like in film, the director is is really the, the boss of everybody and in TV, it's the writer producer. Do you feel like you've learned how to manage people by now? I mean, you must oh be very God. good at it because you're managing all these people, 13 Reasons Why, you're running 
everything. Yeah. It's like, yes, it is. So it's, it's, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, a writer isn't trained or, or preternaturally um, gifted with being like uh, managing mm-hmm. um, teamsters, mm-hmm. for example. Which is hard. you think you, you think too. it would be the the antithesis, right? Yes, the writers exactly. are like closeted in their like yeah. How little, did like, you, private space? Yeah. yeah. How do you feel like you developed as a showrunner? Was it hard for you, or do you, well, you seem like a very confident person and in control? But I don't know what you were like when you were younger. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you know, and I have to say that I am proud of it, and I also feel the beneficiary of a career in which I started at the bottom and worked my way up every rung of the ladder, right? And so along the way, I learned so many lessons by watching my showrunner, by being at the mercy of my showrunner, um, by being thrown on set and not being told what to do, you know what I mean? And then by working with directors who would, you know, educate me in terms of what they were looking at um and you know by the dp the director of photography telling me what they're looking at and a first ad explaining why we're waiting 45 minutes for the lighting setup you know what i mean like because i you know i have i don't know tens of thousands of hours on set before i became a showrunner was there um a certain way you first tried to do it and then realized, okay, I need to be more aggressive or? Yeah, the biggest learning curve was like, even though like on 13 Reasons Why, I was going to meetings that I had been in before, but that moment when you're like, oh, I'm supposed to give that answer. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that was sort of like a learning curve for me. Like I'm used to paying attention in the meeting and having an opinion, but not everyone turning to me and for the answer. Mm-hmm. There was that. Mm-hmm. And then also as a showrunner, you are definitely uh, involved in more behind the scenes, you know, sort of executive network and studio level meetings, budget meetings, that even as a as a co-executive producer, which is like the lieutenant colonel, you know, sort of position, even uh, those meetings were new to me. But I, what I, you know, uh, you know, my point in terms of like, I'm so both proud of and grateful of the fact that I worked my way up from the bottom, that these days, because there's so much content, right? There's over 500 shows in production pre-shutdown that, you know, people were getting handed shows that have literally never been a staff writer, literally never been on a TV set before, you know, or maybe did one year, you know, as a staff writer. And then they sold a pilot and they were like, I want to be the showrunner. And the network goes, Mm -hmm. you can be the showrunner, you know, like, I would not want to, I would like, they're lucky, great, good for you, enjoy. But like, I wouldn't want to be that person. You know what I mean? It would be like, if I said to, and you know, either of you, like if you were like, gosh, I love bread. Like, I wish I could own a bakery someday. And if I said, here's a million dollars, open your bakery. Do you know what I mean? Like, you would be like, I love this. I have the passion for it. But like, I don't know what, I have to get refrigerators. I have, where do I buy ovens from? So um, it's a, you're like, you know, if you are somebody who just gets a show handed to you, like it's an incredible gift again. It's a lot of responsibility as well. So much responsibility. Yeah. And, 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 and there are so many people involved, you know, there's 150 people who make a TV show. Um, many of them crew members working already 14, 16 hours a day 
And, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you are mm -hmm. going to waste people's mm -hmm. time. So I have a, a question for you that's maybe a little tangential, but um, I mean, we have seen in uh, in media and uh, I wouldn't say an explosion because it's kind of like a smaller explosion, but um, with uh, uh, a lot of movies and shows with uh, Asian characters, whether mm -hmm. it be Parasite or um, Crazy Rich Asians or To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And you've been in this industry for so long. I wonder, how do you see that? Because you were part of this industry before mm -hmm. and seeing the lack of Asian um, faces mm -hmm. and representation. You must have been the only Asian, the only woman in a lot of rooms. I think the only woman, probably only the West Wing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, let's see. And the only Asian, oh, yeah, most of the time, yeah, on Law and Order Criminal Intent, there were um, there was a South Asian woman and then a, a biracial um, woman, sort of a polyglot woman. But we 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 didn't work as a team. We weren't um, on that particular show. We didn't have a writers' room, and I only saw them occasionally, like passing in the hallway if they were coming in and I was going out. Uh, for the most part, yes, the only Asian. And so, um, so yeah, so most of my career has been trying to, uh, you know, get representation on the screen, right? So if I was going to create a character, you know, the, uh, or if there was going to be a recurring character, you know, I would, you know, sort of pitch like, well, maybe it could be either that the character is Asian American, or if they weren't ethnic specific, I would, you know, try to pitch a, a, an Asian American actor. Right. And say like, hey, there's no reason this character couldn't be Asian American. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to be Asian American, but there's no reason they couldn't be. Were people receptive? It varied, you know, and and I think there's what I would say is it's in a way, it's always hard to get an actor, actor cast that doesn't have some kind of name or reputation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't even have to be a household name. But right. But if you say I want to cast so and so like let's say it's a cop show let's say it's an episode of law and order criminal intent right and and the bad guy for that episode you know let's say i pick, pitch an asian american actor casting director might say great i'm happy to bring in a you know asian american actors everyone might say agree like of course yes let's in let's audition everybody you know and then when it comes down you know to finally talking about it you, you sort of get two things one i feel like is like the network you know like there's never when you audition because it's you the writer um the director um and then the producer you it's extremely rare that you all agree on one person to send to the network for approval usually you have like two or three right and you send two or three options and what I what I have found is just in terms of inherent bias is that just sometimes like whatever the the handsome white guy, you know, who 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 looks maybe more what people think that character that type of character would look like, inherent bias. He's you know they're going to be like I know I just thought his performance was really nuanced and really blah blah blah. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and and like you know, and I, you know, counter argue, but it's like, you can't argue people out of inherent bias, you know, mm -hmm. but, but it, it is different now. So yes, I would say starting, I do uh, credit crazy rich Asians um, with really opening the door. I think it was happening anyway, but what really opens the door and enables opportunities um, to be made available that weren't before 
is financial success. People aren't going to decide, just decide. We need more Asian American representation. What's wrong with us? Why, why haven't we had this before, right? It's financial success. Like, oh, look at that. People will pay money to see this, meet these people um, and to hear their stories. Um, and so I think that really, um, that really uh, opened the doors. And, um, but I'll say this, it is my observation. I don't follow every single project, but I know that there were a lot of projects sold with Asian American leads and Asian American content, but I'm not sure how many of them made it to air. Yeah. You yeah. know, like mm -hmm. I know just anecdotally a bunch of projects that didn't make it to air. Well, I was so happy as the success of um, Killing Eve, and I know Sandra O oh is one of your dearest friends. Um, you know, my daughter loves it. She, it was the first time she saw. How old's your daughter? She's fifteen. Okay, and she uh, well, well, she fell in love with Sandra O oh from watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah. It's been so nice for her to have someone to watch who she thinks is such so funny, such a great actress. You know, she loves her, and yeah, I mean, you couldn't have a better role model. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm thinking, when are you guys going to do a TV show together? I mean, we would love that. Would to. be amazing. I'm, yeah, I feel like uh, we're ready for it. Uh, we would love to. Um, our schedules are, you know, the projects that we ha uh, have not. Our schedules have not aligned. Mm -hmm. um, but we love working together in the theater. That's how we started off. Right. You know, right. we so we we work together um, and collaborate very closely you know, in, in the theater. Right. But never TV. Mm -mm. It right. just has, I mean, she's on that freaking show yeah, for know. 15 years. And, yeah. You know, and yeah. Uh, well, another question I have is because you have such a strong history with procedural shows with talking about cops and the law, how did you get into that? And what draws you to those types of shows? I mean, it's just a job I got, you know, like after the West wing, uh, I came back to New York um, because I didn't like living in LA and I didn't like working on the West Wing. Um, and I got pregnant right away. And so, you, you know, took some time off. And then the job that honestly just came across my lap was law and order criminal intent. Um, and then it was a good job. I got to tell you that even at the time I ended up being on it for five years at the time, I didn't even I wasn't fully cognizant of how lucky I was to be on a network show, 22 episodes per season that was in New York. Uh, you know, there's a residual system, everything but streaming. Every time an episode I'm, I've written reruns, I get a residual check, right? And so um, in network TV, there's just so many more reruns. Mm. And then there's also like after, like if it aired on NBC, it'll rerun on NBC, but then they'll rerun it on USA Network later. And I didn't know at that time how much more income I would get from that versus if I worked on some really cool eight episode show on a premium cable network. Mm. Because this, every, the scale of everything in terms of what the writer makes is smaller, you know. Um, so I didn't know. I didn't know by working five years on criminal intent that I would 
15 years later still be receiving checks that are a meaningful wow. a meaningful part mm. of my mm-hmm. income and that led to so many other shows right after working yeah so yeah so that i honestly the reason why i ended up on so many cop shows really was just by virtue of what was writing in new york mm-hmm. you know what jobs were in new york that's how I and how did up. you know how to write about cops and how they I didn't work? I didn't you know and most of us don't you you know there's a cop consultant you know you read sample scripts and then you know and then the showrunner I mean that's the showrunner's job is to sort of like guide the storytelling you know um and I just learned what about your parents they were supportive of your career as a writer is that right no um <laughs> oh, okay i thought they were supportive i thought well, i re- yeah well um i mean i decided when i was nine that i wanted to be a writer because it was the first time that i got attention for like being something other than my brother's little sister but i think they didn't take it seriously when i was little and then when i you know uh, got into nyu but which was just for the liberal arts college i didn't even dare apply to Tisch School of the Arts. You know, I remember uh, my my mom, you know, uh, bless her heart, but, you know, said to me, well, I guess I just hope you marry a rich man. But um, we've all been told that. Yeah. But but um, my mom actually had a massive stroke when I was a freshman uh, and was paralyzed and aphasic after that. So she couldn't speak. So she did in her way, though, she did ex- express an intense uh, love and support. It was uh, very touching to me because she could really only say like a dozen one words. And one of them was book, which meant writing, right? So if she wanted to ask me like, cause she lived 20 years after the stroke in that condition. So if she wanted to say like, how's your career or how's your play or how's your project, whatever she would say, oh, um, book. So would she watch your shows? Yeah, she did. Um, so they were and she came supportive. to see they came yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They were supportive. and they came to see Stop Kiss, you... which was a big deal. Yeah, you know, to transport yeah. her to New York and get her to the theater and everything it was a big deal. They um, must have been so proud of you. Yeah, they didn't like hugely proud. They didn't you know? get in my way, mm-hmm. right? And then again, after the stroke, my mother was very supportive. Um, and then my dad, I mean, my dad will, of course, tell you he was supportive, but, um, <laughs> um, but I mean, and I, 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 I'll say this, that even to this day, I can tell you, like I told him recently, like, um, and I can't give, unfortunately, I can't give you details now because the deal's not done, but I am going to be running another series for Netflix. It's with an A-list Oscar winning actress and, you know, and, uh, um, you know, big, you know, A-list director. Um, and when I tell my dad, I mean, is, you know, you know, like, Hey, you know, cause every time I call him, he'll be like, you got a job, you're working, you know? And I go like, I'm working. It's yeah, it's okay. You know? And, or, you know, and then if I say like, Oh yeah, I just got a job. I'm going to be going to be doing this thing. I'm going to be running a show for Netflix. And he's like, Oh, they pay you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about your secret Netflix show. So this show, because yeah. on hold, right? I mean, you can't shoot anything. This is a what big show's limbo. on hold. The the one that you can't tell us about. Oh no, it's not on hold because of that. We're just the deals are still being done. So it's you know okay, uh, but but you can't. Is it hasn't been well, shot? Well, we need to write right? it. We need. To oh, write. you have to write. Okay, it's that early. Yeah, the Got writing it. has okay. to happen first, right? Yeah. 
But the writing, um, you're in the process of writing the Netflix show and you're in the process of writing the pilot for the Francis Cha show. Yeah. It feels like there's so much or was so much momentum about Asians in um, film and in media. And uh, I know that there's this coronavirus that's a global pandemic, but, um, and nobody knows the future of uh, production. Yeah. But um, do you feel that too? I mean, do you see more scripts? You said that there's definitely more buzz about things being picked up, but are they being produced or do they get through? Um, it's wonderful that there's that you're in a position on the inside to be able to advocate for the inside and not be just a person who's knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. um, do you see more people too? I mean, I know um, there's another Korean American, is Angela Kong in uh, The Walking Dead, who's a yeah. career showrunner. Yep. It's. Um, I mean, there, there's two of you. Are there Sue, even more? Sue, Sue Hugh. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, she she is uh, she's doing Pachinko. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's shooting now. I don't know where where they are in their process. Yeah. Um, so they have a. a a Korean American. Yeah, I would just say she. she. Yeah, she. I think. I mean, she's running it, and I think she's writing most of the episodes. I mean, she oh. had a writers' room uh -huh. um, with a lot of Korean American, but not exclusively Korean American writers, um, that helped her break the season. But I think that she's writing all of the episodes. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, it's a real passion project for her. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where they are in that. Um, but I mean, I, 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 I mean. I don't know, but like, you know, when we were thinking about if I had your face, you know, we were thinking like, oh, well, we'll probably go to Korea to shoot like, again, this is a show that would benefit from all the scripts being mm -hmm. written in advance because mm -hmm. we would want to go, you don't want to go to Korea like for two days every episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. So if we have all the scripts written ahead of time, and again, it hasn't been picked up to series yet. So this is all like, you know, hypothetical and hopeful. But um, all the scripts written, and so we identify, okay, so in total, over the 10 episodes, we have six weeks worth of scenes. You know, we have 26 scenes that absolutely have to be shot in Korea. You know what I mean? Like, we need to feature, you know, uh, the high, it's the Seoul skyline. We need mm -hmm. to feature mm -hmm. Gangnam. We need to feature the river. You know what I mean? Like, we do very much one of the appeals is the show is the ability to show Korea in a way that it hasn't been seen, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. previously, you know, our thinking was like, okay, so we'll identify there's 25 scenes that absolutely have to be shot in Korea. We'll go to Korea for, you know, two months, shoot those out. And then for the other, you know, 130 scenes that comprise, you know, it would be more, it would be for the other 200 scenes you know, that could take place on a soundstage, we'll shoot those here, you know, in the States, right? I would want that because my family's here, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna take everybody's career for mm -hmm. a year. Um, but, um, but now, uh, again, hypothetical, but like Korea is one of two countries that didn't shut down production, yeah. that didn't yeah. shut down production, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, they've totally flattened the curve. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it actually might be better for us yeah, to do our show yeah. in Korea because they work that shit out. You know what I mean? 
um, and um, in a way that we're still scrambling. People were in, you know, in, 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 you know, back rooms and stuff like trying to hammer numbers and procedures and all that stuff and Korea. Yeah, you're going to have to try to fake the uh, US scenes Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it'll be, all the Korean scenes will be like expansive and yeah. cinematic yeah. and all this stuff. And then the, you know, handful of scenes that take place in the, in the States will be like one person walking down the street or <laughs> one person talking across a, you know, a, a cafe, to, you know, to another. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But it feels like, uh, yeah, it feels like I, I feel, <laughs> I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say lucky, right? Because, yeah. you know, this is not a good time and, you know, people are really hurting and, and suffering. This is terrible, you know? Um, but, um, but it is, it is it's uh, serendipity. You know? Yeah, it's a weird. It's a good time to weird, have a show taking place in Korea. Korea. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, just tell us. So before we wrap up, so what are your plans for the next couple of weeks? What are you going to focus on? Assuming we're still at home, oh what will no, you be I, doing? Every, like personally too. Every day I'm juggling because yeah. uh, I have other projects too that I didn't talk about, which is fine. Um, but I I have a lot of projects um, in various different stages. Um, uh, I will, I will probably be running a virtual writer's room for this Netflix series, probably, you know, within a month, uh, month's time while also juggling all this stuff. You're a busy lady. I'm busy, uh, you know, and I do think it helps me, you know, because I do read the headline. I'm not like obsessively reading every article, you know, but I think that because I have so much to manage, um, in my work and personal life that it's that's overwhelming those two things alone without paying attention to what's going on outside or why i'm inside and why my kids are home is itself overwhelming and requiring all my energy to manage you know that it kind of makes me feel like you know i'm 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 not uh twisting in the wind and worried about what is the the next thing because just on a daily basis i have a to-do list that i can only get one fifth through. Well, thank you for making the time for us. Yeah. Yes, so with lovely. pleasure. Pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Did I just say pressure? I meant pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Korean thing. <laughs> K-Pod is a production of KoreanAmericanStory.org. Our editor is AJ Valente. Our producer is Jessica Park and our executive producer is HJ Lee. You can follow K-Pod and see Juliana's photographs of our subjects on our new Instagram at kpodpod. That's K-P-O-D-P-O-D. And you can always email us with comments and suggestions at kpod at koreanamericanstory.org. Thanks.